better? Can everybody hear me now? Good morning, Caleb. Good morning, everybody. I'm so, I'm so glad that uh, you all are here to worship. That song was amazing. I love that. And, and that song to me tells me that, that there are times when we just have a need for more. And, and I hope that for all of you who are here this morning, that that's your heart's cry, that you're here, that you're needing more, that you want more of him. I want to make you um, aware today at 1.30, we've been doing discipleship training over the last several weeks. And uh, for those of you who are, are feeling that stirring on the inside that you want more, um, come, come. We're going to meet today at 1.30. We're going to meet again on Thursday. Um, but we've just been spending a lot of time in quiet meditation, prayer, um, listening for the Holy Spirit. Um, this coming Monday, uh, for those of you who are interested, there's going to be a 24-hour fasting that we're going to do. And if you'd like to be a part of that, again, these are just opportunities to go deeper, to learn more about spiritual disciplines, um, to seek God with your whole heart. So if you'd like to be a part of that, just make sure you come today at 1.30, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do some biblical meditation together, and then we'll talk about the fasting that we're going to do on Monday. Um, curious, how many people, uh, I'm sure you guys probably all remember this, but several of you remember when they first came out. Anybody remember these little bracelets? Anybody old enough to remember? Anybody remember when they first came out back in the 90s? Okay. I, I, wear, I wear one all the time. I love these little things. Uh, I've been wearing one ever, ever since the walk, actually. I hadn't seen them since the walk, and I've been wearing it ever since. But it's interesting. Um, they're little bracelets, for those of you who may not have seen them, but they have uh, four letters on it. It spells out an acronym that has WWJD, and it stands for what would Jesus do? Now, it's interesting. It turns out there's actually a little bit of a story behind these bracelets. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting because that phrase, what would Jesus do, actually goes all the way back to a very old book that was written by a person by the name of Thomas Kempis. And for those of you who have been involved with, uh, you know, interested in, in um, spiritual formation, uh, reading some of the classic works of those who have gone deeper with the Lord in the past. You know this book. It's called The Imitation of Christ. And uh, it was a book that was written in the 1400s. It's about spiritual formation. And basically the book is all about taking time to come away from the world for a season so that you can focus on being in the presence of the Lord. Well, isn't that what we've been talking about over the last several weeks when it comes to getting to know the Holy Spirit? So in this book, he's talking about the inner life of Christ and he asks a simple question in the book, what would Jesus do? And the entirety of the book is about how can we shape our lives and live in such a way so that we are like Jesus. Now, he wrote that in the 1400s. About 400 or so years goes by, and there's a very famous preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon who reads Thomas Akempis, loves his works, um, and talks a whole lot about spiritual formation in his own sermons. And so one time in his sermon in 1882 in London, after he read the book, The Imitation of Christ, he wrote a sermon called What Jesus Would Do. And he started asking that question. And I love this quote. He said, hang that question up in your houses. What would Jesus do? And then think of another. How would Jesus do it? For what he would do and how he would do it may always stand as the best guide to us. That's a good quote, isn't it? Now, a few years later, there was a man by the name of Charles Sheldon. Charles Sheldon was a pastor. He was a man 
who was preaching at a church over in Topeka, Kansas. And he was getting a little frustrated, like a lot of us preachers do sometimes. People weren't coming to church. They were staying at home. Sunday night service was the worst. He couldn't get get people to come out on Sunday night service. And so he decided to write a series of, of lessons. And it turned out that he had just recently been reading some sermons by a man by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And so as he was reading these sermons about what Jesus would do, he had the thought, you know, I'm going to do something different. And so he came up with a series that he did on Sunday nights called, What Would Jesus Do? And basically every single Sunday night, he would tell a story. It would have a moral dilemma in it. And it would always end with a cliffhanger for the church. Okay, if you were in this position, what would you do? Or more precisely, what would Jesus do? Well, it was a hit. And the church attendance just went like crazy. A few years later, he'd collected all of those messages that he had written and he had preached and he wrote a book that became a classic in its own right called In His Steps. What would Jesus do? And by the way, that book has been read by millions and millions of people, just like Thomas Akempis. It's, It's a Christian classic. It's a very widely read book. Now, that brings us then to these little bracelets. About a hundred years after Sheldon wrote that book, there was a a, a woman, she was a youth leader up in Michigan, and she was struggling with trying to teach her kids about living Christ-like. And so she had just got through reading Sheldon's book. This was sometime back in the 90s. What would Jesus do? And she said, you know what? I need to have that reminder with me wherever I go. And so she had the idea to make little bracelets And since it was so long, she couldn't put the whole phrase on there. And so she just put the acronym, what would Jesus do? WWJD. And she passed those out to her youth group. Well, that's how it all started. From there, it spread from one youth group to the next and one youth group to the next. And before you know it, it was was everywhere. It was on t-shirts and mugs and banners and, and you name it. Now, I say all that this morning for this. That question, what would Jesus do is a very important question. It's a question that, that Tinkleberg, who was the youth minister, Sheldon, Spurgeon, Thomas Akempis, these are questions that strong men and women of the faith have been asking for a very, very long time. What would Jesus do? That's what we've been talking about in this sermon series over the last several weeks, about what would Jesus do? How did he walk by the Holy Spirit? How did he live the way that he lived? One of the things that we're discovering as we trace this theme of the Holy Spirit through the Bible, is that Jesus came to give you a lot more than what a lot of people settle for. Jesus came to give you a new life. A lot of times we tend to think that Jesus came to do what? Just to forgive me of my sins. Now listen, I'm not minimizing that work. But the whole purpose of Jesus forgiving you of your sins and removing those sins from you is so that you have the ability to experience a new life with God. Jesus says it like this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief, which is who? Satan, the enemy. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy life. But I have come so that you might have life and have it what? Have it to the full. And if you remember last Sunday, we saw that Jesus is the model for this life. He doesn't call you to be his disciples so that he can tell you to do something that he hasn't done before. Everything that Jesus calls you to do and to live as his disciple, he has modeled for you already in the Gospels. And so last week we started 
looking at Jesus as the model for this new life that we've been given. And in the passage that we read earlier at the beginning, the one that we read together, you saw another example of this. I want to pull that passage back up. It's from the book of Luke, chapter 6, verse 40. But in the passage, he talks about the kind of heart that his followers are supposed to have. He says, look at my heart. This is Jesus' heart, but we're supposed to have the same kind of heart. And look at what it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. The student is not above the teacher. He goes on to say, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So what does that tell me? That tells me that as a Christian, as a disciple, it is up to me to make sure that I put myself in a position so that I can be fully trained to be like Jesus Christ. Now, you say, well, that's God's work. It is God's work, but it doesn't just happen to you, especially if you're running the other direction. You have to pursue God with everything that's in you. And when you look at the life of Jesus, that's exactly what you see him giving us the example of. So the question that we're asking ourselves this morning, ultimately what you and I are talking about here with our conversations about the Holy Spirit is, how can we, as disciples of Jesus, Follow the Holy Spirit like he did so that we too can become fully trained and live a life just like Jesus. That's a good question, isn't it? I want to live like him. I want to be like Jesus in everything that I say and everything that I do. I want to live that abundant life because nine times out of ten, I tell you, it's hard living life, isn't it? It's hard living life when you're trying to let life give you what, what's important. But when you live your life according to the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter the circumstances or the events or the people or the things that happen in your life. You can still live it abundantly no matter what. In his book, Imitation of Christ, Thomas Kempis had this to say when it comes to living the life of Jesus. Listen to what he says. The, the original maker of what would Jesus do, right? Uh, he should have had the patent on it because he was the one that originally came up with it. But here's what he said. For what would it profit us to know the whole Bible by heart and the principles of all the philosophers if we live without grace and the love of God? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, except to love God and to serve him alone. Now listen to what he says. I love this. If we wish to truly be enlightened and free from all blindness of heart, let our chief effort therefore be to study the life of Jesus Christ, the teaching of Christ is more excellent than all the advice of the saints, and he who has his spirit will find it in a hidden manner. Whoever wishes to understand fully the words of Christ, let's try to pattern his whole life to that of Christ. So not only are we asking the question this morning, what would Jesus do? But we're taking it a step further. Because we want to be like Jesus. And so we've gone into the Gospels and we said, okay, what would Jesus do? And we further asked the question, what did Jesus actually do? And since you and I know that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, just like Jesus had the gift of the Holy Spirit living inside of him, that means then that I had the capacity to be transformed to look like Jesus. That's what I want. Do you want that? That's what I want. I know you do as well. So, so last Sunday, I suggested to you, when you look at the life of Jesus, he gives us five examples, five really clear good examples. There's millions probably. But, but I, I offer to you just five examples of how we can look at the life of Jesus and see a pattern for how you and I can walk after the Holy Spirit ourselves and become like him. So the first one, if you remember, we looked at this. We said 
Um, if you want to learn how to walk in the Spirit like Jesus, you have to be willing to pursue the Holy Spirit every single day like Christ. You have to pursue Him. It doesn't just happen. You have to, in the words of John Piper, a preacher I like to listen to every now and then, go hard after God. When you wake up in the morning, you need to be going after God, chasing after God, getting on your knees and praying. Throughout the day, you need to be stopping what you're doing and getting on your knees and praying. At night, you need to be praying with your wife, with your husband. You need to be praying with your kids. You need to be seeking God with your whole heart. If Jesus, listen, if Jesus as a man in his flesh, with all the weakness that comes from that, with all the limitations that comes from that, if Jesus himself had to practice the presence of God by fasting, by prayer, by meditation, by spending lots of time in God's presence, then don't you think we should do? See, American Christians, we don't like to hear that. We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like the word discipline, quite honestly. American Christians, and I'll be the first to raise my hand, we are an undisciplined lot of people. But we've got to become disciplined. We've got to pursue God. Listen, if you wanted to go do a marathon or something like that, I know this is a trite little phrase you've heard preachers say a million times, but it's true. If you wanted to go run a marathon, you wouldn't wait till the day of the marathon before you started training and just go do it, would you? course not you work your way up because your body has to get ready for that well that's the same way it is with jesus christ do you think that he just decided i'm going to live my life as if uh, my spirituality is something i do only on sabbat on shabbat and and then finally when he was tempted by by satan now all of a sudden i've got enough faith to overcome the temptation no because jesus himself left a model for you and me for us to live our daily lives we have to be practicing the presence of god We need to be practicing holiness in our lives. We need to be actively defeating sin in our lives so that we can have a better and deeper and more lasting relationship with the Father. So he sought God's presence often. He would go off into a lonely place. He would go often to pray. And then what else? Because he was so exercised in the Holy Spirit, he would use the presence of the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation in his life. We looked at the example of Satan when he tempted Jesus to sin three times. Every single time he defeats him. How? By the word of God and by the might of the Holy Spirit's power. If you are not already acquainted with those two things, you are already defeated before the enemy. You have to make reading God's word a daily priority in your life. And you have to spend time in the Holy Spirit every single day. So what is Jesus modeling for us here? You cannot successively overcome temptation in your life unless you are actively pursuing a relationship with God's Holy Spirit presence within you. He's the way of escape. Remember, that's what the passage said. He's the way of escape. What does that mean, he's the way of escape? It's not mentally thinking about Jesus that helps you escape out of the clutches of your sin right before you're about to give in. What helps you to to let go of that sin is when you become so aware of the real presence of Jesus with you in that environment that it takes away the power of the desire to want to do the thing, okay? That's how the way of escape works. Now, that leads us then to one more example I want to share with you this morning um, of how watching the life of Jesus gives us a, a model for how to live our lives. Is, and, and that's not only does watching the life of Jesus give us, give us a model for how to live, but it also shows us that when we do these things, it also shows you the result of living them. Here's the third one this morning. Jesus also enjoyed the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And when you look at his life, you see a man who pursued God so much, he spent time daily in his word, 
He spent time with the Holy Spirit in God's presence. And because he did not allow sin into his life, he didn't have the weight of sin that, according to the book of Hebrews, so easily entangles our walk. So he cast off everything from his legs so he could walk straight. And what happens when you walk in the Holy Spirit long enough? You will begin to experience a heart that is fully transformed. A heart that looks like God. A heart that looks like Jesus Christ. Think about this. Why do you love Jesus so much? We all have many reasons why we love him so much. We could probably spend the next three hours in this room and I could ask you, why do you love Jesus so much? And you guys would give me um, so many examples. He was wise. He was caring. He was gentle. He was humble. He was loving. He was compassionate. He was a man of faith. He was a servant. He was strong. He was brave. He was forgiving. He was a man of prayer. He was a man on a mission. I mean, could we go on? Okay. The reason why we love Jesus so much is because of his heart. Because what made him so different than all of his contemporaries is because when you looked at Jesus, you saw God. In fact, that's exactly what he said to Philip. He said to him in John chapter 14, verse 9, He's talking to him. He says, show me the Father. He says, listen, haven't you seen the Father? He says, anybody who has seen me has seen the Father. He has become so transformed by the work and presence of the Spirit in his life that when you look at Jesus, you're seeing God. He says the same thing over in the book of Hebrews. It says this in chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance. What is that? It's the sunshine, right? Right? It's the beams of light, if you will. The sun is the beams of light, the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. Jesus was literally God on the earth, showing us in human form what God is really like. Now, I could talk to you all day long about Jesus' heart. But there's one passage in the scripture where Jesus talks about his own heart. Did you know that? There's one. And he describes his own heart. And I love this. I want to take you over there with me. Take your Bibles out. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says this. I'm going to pull it up on the screen here. He's talking to the people. And he says, come to me. All of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. And then listen how he describes his heart. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I had a funny conversation the other day with somebody. And they said, uh, what is the yoke of Jesus? And they thought it was an egg yolk. I can understand how that would be very confusing to someone if you thought that that was an egg yolk. Now, what is a yolk? A yolk is is the wooden thing that you put around an animal, right? If you have a couple of ox that you're about to use to plow your garden, you, 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 you bind these animals together with a yoke, right? And the idea is, is that they help each other. If one gets a little weak, the other one pulls the other one along a little bit. It helps, it, helps them to, to be strong together, if you will. Well, Jesus says, my yoke is easy. There was a phrase that was used in the first century with the rabbis. It was calling taking the yoke of the rabbi. If you were becoming a disciple of a rabbi, you were to take their yoke. Well, guess what? Some rabbis had a pretty strong yoke. (laughs) They make you do a lot of stuff you didn't really want to do. But Jesus says, come to me. My yoke is easy. What I'm going to ask of you is easy. My burden that I put on you is light compared to everyone else. Okay? Now, look at what he says about his heart. He says, I'm gentle 
and lowly. What does that mean to be gentle? First of all, to be gentle means to be humble. It means you're not trigger happy. Have you ever noticed that some people just seem to be on edge a lot? And you talk to them, it's almost like no matter what you say, you're probably going to offend the person because they're so edgy. And they're so quick to say stuff. They're so quick to point out the faults in someone else. They're so quick to criticize or to have a judgmental thought or heart to somebody. That's the opposite of what it means to be humble here. It's, it's as though he's, he's always thinking of the other person. He's always thinking of their heart. He's thinking of their feelings. He wasn't harsh. He didn't get easily offended. Jesus was not reactionary. He wasn't easily angered. Jesus was the kind of person that always looked at the person's heart before their words and before their actions. Amen? Okay, so that's what it means to be humble. That was his heart. He's describing himself. And the second thing is that he says he's lowly. What does it mean to be lowly? Let me give you an example of lowly. James says that if you have a rich person that comes in, do not be the kind of congregation that honors that person just because of their wealth. And when a person comes in who's shaggy and poor, obviously homeless, do not look at that person and kick them to the curb because of their social status, if you will. The person that you would normally think to kick to the curb because of their social status, that in the Bible is called a lowly person. When Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come to this earth as a king. He didn't wear purple clothes. He didn't wear rich clothing. He didn't come to this earth to interject himself into society as somebody who's important. He came as what? A lowly person. You know what it means for Jesus to call himself lowly? It means that he was accessible to everybody. It did not matter if he was talking to a Pharisee or a prostitute. It didn't matter if he was talking to a priest, a religious person, or a tax collector. If you were having a one-on-one conversation with Jesus, you were the most important person in the world to him because he was accessible. So in other words, Jesus just described to you his own heart. He was gentle and lowly. And I love the appeal that Jesus is making here. Jesus is saying, look, guys, I'm not even asking you to lay down your burdens. Don't even worry about trying to clean yourself up before you come to me. Just come to me. And all you who are labored heavy laden, Jesus promises, I will give you rest. Now, my point in saying all of this is that through the Holy Spirit, God's desire and his goal is to make your heart look just like that. That's his goal. is to make your heart and your life exactly like Jesus. Jesus is the image of the Father, and the Father through the Spirit is causing you to be the image of Jesus. Amen. Now, we read this verse last week, but I think it, it bears worth repeating again because of the content of it. Look at what it says. Follow God's example. This is talking to us as Christians. Follow God's example, therefore, as, delir- as dearly beloved children. And look at verse 2. Walk in the way of love. Jesus is the way. He loved. He showed us the way. So now we're being called to do the same thing. Walk in the way of love. That's a heart that's transformed. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. John 13, 34 says this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another jesus is the mold he's the model he's the way we are called to follow him you say tim okay but i don't got a heart like that um i see my heart and i know what it's like and i know that it is it's not like his but i want it to be 
Um, how can I have a heart like that? I will tell you, I don't have a heart exactly like Jesus Christ. I desperately want it. But there are times in the recesses of my own private life, I struggle on the inside with things. Anger, bitterness, rage, frustration, anger, just like anybody else. But I know the way, because I know that my heart is not the way it was 20 years ago. Tiffany, would you amen that? Please, I paid her $50 to amen that. All right. <laughs> But listen, let me tell you something, church. I'm saying this with every ounce of passion that I have. There is no way in the world that you can experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, the fruit of having God's holy presence live inside of you. There's no way for you to develop and grow into having a heart like Jesus unless you pursue him with every ounce of your being. You have to go hard after God, pursuing with every ounce of your being. And you do that by spending lots and lots and lots of daily time with him in his word, in his presence, and with his people. With his word, with his presence, and with his people. And listen, also too, as you do that, you will start to let go of all the little temptations that come along in your way. Because you're, you're going to be building up your spirit man on the inside. And when those temptations come for the first time in your life, you're going to learn how to be able to say no to that thing instead of saying yes. And over time, as you get a little bit more freedom, your heart begins to change on the inside. You will then begin living like Christ from the inside out. It's not going to be a sermon that someone shoved down your throat. It's not going to be a Bible passage that somebody stuck in your eye. It's going to be because of the love of Jesus Christ that is literally flowing within you like a river of water from the, from the throne of heaven. That's exactly how it works. Now, as you learn how to start saying no to your temptations and put the death the deeds of the body by the Spirit... Paul puts in Romans 8, 13 like this. You will begin to experience more and more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life and the heart of Jesus will grow inside of you. But listen to this. It's an important point. Your heart being transformed is in direct proportion to how much time you spend with Him. I want to say it again. Your heart being transformed is in direct proportion to how much time you spend in His Word, how much time you spend in the presence of God and defeat temptation in your life. If you don't care about none of those things, your spiritual progress will grow about that much over 40, 50, 60, 70 years. But if you do all these other things that I just mentioned, if you follow the example of Christ, you will become, you will get into what I like to call the, um, I have a little phrase, I, it's a, I call it the Spirit Express. <laughs> this is something Tim Brown likes to say. But when you're placing yourself in the fast lane of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's going to start doing stuff left and right in your life. He's going to start knocking off sins in your heart. He's going to start getting rid of things on the inside. And you're going to start seeing miracles take place on a daily basis that nobody else is going to see yet. But you're going to see it because you know you like nobody else. And over time, other people will begin to see those things as well. But see, this is why Paul says what he says in Galatians chapter 5. When Paul sums it up, he says, listen, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of, of organizing and living your life in reality of the presence of Jesus Christ will do this in your life. It will produce love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Jesus was every one of those things. And he is working to bring every one of those things and grow them in your life as well. I asked you a question earlier. Oh, I, I forgot I put this up here. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Here's how Paul sees himself now at this point in his walk. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, it's no longer me living anymore. 
In other words, he has, be, he has been practicing the presence of God so much that he literally just walks with the presence every day. He's not even cognizant of his own self anymore. He says, that I no longer live. It's Christ living in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to stop here. It's, it's really simple. It's not hard. Um, this, this is the, the practices that, um, that one of my spiritual mentors had me start back in 2009. But, um, but I got a little token of agape here for you. Uh, see the bracelets? We're going to do an invitation, okay? And, and I, love, I love little reminders because here's what this is going to be a reminder of. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. Elders, if you would, you can go ahead and stand up. And, uh, but we're going to have an invitation. If you need to, to pray for anything, I don't care what it is. I've got a few bracelets up here. I'm going to give you a bracelet. But, but, but if you are going to follow Jesus, here's what I'm really asking. I'm hoping everyone does this. If you pick up one of these bracelets, will you be one of these people that, starting today, you're going to make a promise to yourself. I'm going to seek Jesus every single day. I'm going to start daily time with him. I'm going to start daily prayer with him. I'm going to spend time in his word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to a 95.5 time prayer meeting. I'm going to learn how to sit in his presence. I'm going to learn how to pray. I'm going to learn how to fast. I'm going to learn how to go hard after God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a decision today. I am no longer going to let sin in my life like a pet that won't go away. I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to start saying no to sin. And I want more fruit of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, you can come forward and pray. And while you're up here, grab you a what would Jesus do bracelet, okay? Come forward as we stand and sing. When peace.